Hey, happy Father's Day to all you men here, and uh, pray that you feel special, loved, and, and honored today. What a weekend we've been having here. Um, a couple days ago, we had the uh, Christian rap concert right here with Hulvey. Oh my goodness, uh, such a great time together. Uh, like, I think 400 people bought tickets. It was hopping, bopping, and jumping right here. I, I want you to know I came to it. I wasn't at the front, but I was at the back. I was in the room. Uh, such a great time. Hulvey is a strong believer in Jesus. Um, he was amazing. My son Brandon was opening act, Split Seas. That's, that's our son Brandon. He's on his way into a whole new beginning with his ministry here in rap music. Uh, and I got to say, uh, when Hulvey preached the gospel, it was so powerful. And then he led everybody in, in a song called Have Me. And I, you could feel the presence of the Lord descend in the room. There were 35 decisions for Jesus on Friday night right here. Yeah. Place is packed. Next day, uh, some of us were at uh, McMahon Stadium, football stadium in Calgary for Red Zone, along with Voice of Revival, Samuel Robinson, uh, 200 student football players being coached and trained by Christian NFL athletes who came up to Canada all of that culminated in the sharing of the gospel on McMahon Field. And out of the 200 there, uh, I think it was about 150, 175 received Jesus. Yeah, come on. So many of those young men and women that were there were not churched at all. Uh, and you know, they didn't just like put up a hand and pray and go home. It was like, put up your hand, now stand up, now come to the front of the field. And then the NFL Christian guys laid their hands on them and prayed that God's Holy Spirit would come upon them. It was marvelous. 150 plus decisions for Jesus. So exciting. The harvest is real. Amen? Yeah, yeah. And hey, today is first Sunday back for a special woman in our lives here in this church. Keely Van Vlack is in the room. Keely's here. I don't know where, but wave, where are you? There she is. Hey, welcome. Can someone run her a mic? That'd be great. Um, Keely's here with her husband, Gary. Five weeks ago, she was in surgery and things didn't go well. Septic shock. Doctor said, we think we're going to lose her. Gary sends out a prayer text and a whole bunch of people rallied around that here and in other churches and across the nation and beyond. And God rescued her and restored her. So she's got a huge testimony that she's going to share another time. But just today, we wanted to honor you, Keely. It's good to have you back in the house. Welcome home. Yeah. And uh, take a moment, share a few words with us. Yeah, well, I just want to thank um, this church family for praying for me. You know, John 10 tells us that the enemy comes to rob, kill, and destroy. But Jesus comes to give life and life abundant. And I remember going into my second surgery when things had kind of gone wrong. I said to Gary, like, if something happens, just pray me back. Death is not my future. Amen. And um, it's because Jesus called the bride to battle um, that I'm here today because you guys answered that call and you went to war for me and the battle was won. And I get to um, glorify Jesus and tell my testimony because you answered that call. And I believe that every one of you that answered that call has received a new mantle, a mantle of faith, a mantle of intercession. Um, but my testimony is your testimony. Amen. It's a stone to stack and a, a testimony that you get to stand on. 
I'm here because of your prayers. So thank you. So good. So good. Yeah. Woo. It was literally one of the greatest healings we have seen in our church's history. And it was five weeks ago. And uh, praying for continued strength, recovery, fullness of all the energy back in you and uh, celebrating just what God is doing there. They got friends with them here. Uh, Caleb and Madeline pastoring in Washington State. Can we just welcome them? Caleb and Madeline. Yeah. Their family. Good to have you guys here. Awesome. All right. It's a good day, right? And it is Father's Day, so amen. You guys are awake, good. Turn in your Bibles to Judges chapter five. We're in our series called Greater Vision. And today we're pressing into what does it mean to have a greater vision about what men can be in our world? And we have some awesome men in this church, incredibly awesome men. Uh, by the way, I did a, a message on, uh, on Mother's Day a year ago from... Judges chapter 5, same passage. And so I just want to set up this message by saying, you know, if you only take in this message today and you go away from our church, you might think, man, he is so focused on men. All right, let me just kind of give you the bigger picture. I, I'm also cashing in everything that I possibly can to lift up women. And if you remember my message on Mother's Day, I talked about women as apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, church leaders leading in the kingdom at all levels. Year ago, Judges 5, I preached on the Deborah anointing because of the, the woman Deborah in that chapter who rose up and led Israel. And you know, and sometimes people, pastors talk to me and say, oh, I don't know, women should be in leadership. I say, what do you do with Deborah? Like Deborah led the nation. She was judge, she was ruler, she was commander. Um, and, you know, I, I, I just know in my heart that God is doing something incredible with women these days. So I have spoken on that six weeks ago and last year on Mother's Day. And it gets into a lot of our messages. So just remember that. Don't send me any emails saying, oh, you only talked about men today. Thank you for not doing that. But it is time to ratchet it up a level for the sake of our men and I'm calling this message, where are the princes? Because men are called to be princes. Didn't say princesses. Princes. And in Judges chapter five, here's the setting. Um, actually, go back a chapter, Judges chapter four. Uh, the Canaanites were threatening the Israelites with annihilation. And we're in the cycle of the judges, right? And we're in cycle four. There's already three judges. Israel would do stupid stuff. God would deliver them, send a judge. He'd get them out of trouble. Then after a while, they'd wander back away from God and get, you know, almost annihilated again. So God would raise up another judge. And we're now in the moment when Deborah became judge, okay? And uh, there's this huge battle in chapter four. Uh, where Israel rises up under this leader, this Deborah anointing leader, and her and Barak, they take on uh, the battle. And Israel wins. And at the end of chapter four, uh, you can read about it. Uh, Sisera, the commanding general of the Canaanite army, he hides in a tent, he's exhausted, he falls asleep. And there's a woman in that tent named Jael. Yeah, and she like, gives the guy a headache. Some of you know your Bibles, you know what I'm talking about. She takes a tent peg and strikes it with a hammer through his skull. 
And a great victory is won for the people of God. We're talking, this is what God was doing in those days. So that has just happened, and now there's going to be a celebration, okay? There's going to be a celebration of that victory. That is Judges chapter 5, which I spoke on one year ago through the lens of women. Now I'm speaking on it through the lens of men. And it's a song written by Deborah and Barak. And I've chosen to read it today for you out of the NIV. I know some of you can't believe that. But uh, out of the eight versions I looked at, uh, comparing to original, I think the NIV this time, I think they just nailed it. I think they got it right. And I appreciate that. So I'm going to read it for you. Words should be up on the screen. All right, Judges chapter 5. On that day, Deborah and Barak, son of Abinoam, sang this song. Note the word princes here. It'll show up a lot. When the princes in Israel take the lead, when the people willingly offer themselves, praise the Lord. Hear this, you kings. Listen, you rulers. Could be translated princes. I, even I, will sing to the Lord. I will sing, sing praise to the Lord, the God of Israel, in song. When you, Lord, went out from Seir, when you marched from the land of Edom, the earth shook and the heavens poured. The clouds poured down water. The mountains quaked before the Lord, the one of Sinai, before the Lord, the God of Israel. In the days of Shamgar, son of Anath, in the days of Jael, the highways were abandoned. Travelers took to winding paths. Villagers in Israel would not fight. They held back until I, Deborah, arose. Until I arose, a mother in Israel. God chose new leaders when war came to the city gates. But not a shield or spear was seen among 40,000 in Israel. My heart is with Israel's princes, with the willing volunteers among the people. Praise the Lord. You who ride on white donkeys, sitting on your saddle blankets. By the way, that's what princes do after a battle has been won. They jump on donkeys. And you who walk along the road, consider the voice of the singers at the watering places. They recite the victories of the Lord, the victories of his villagers in Israel. Then the people of the Lord went down to the city gates. Wake up, wake up, Deborah. Wake up, wake up. Break out in song. Arise, Barak. Take captive your captive, son of Abinoam. The remnant of the nobles came down. The people of the Lord came down to me against the mighty. Some came from Ephraim, whose roots were in Amalek. Benjamin was with the people who followed you. From Machir, captains, could be translated princes, came down from Zebulun, those who bear a commander's staff. The princes of Issachar were with Deborah. Yes, Issachar was with Barak, sent under his command into the valley in the districts of Reuben. There was much searching of heart. Why did you stay among the sheep pens to hear the whistling for the flocks in the districts of Reuben? There was much searching of heart. Gilead stayed beyond the Jordan. And Dan, why did he linger by the ships? Asher remained on the coast and stayed in his coves. The people of Zebulun risked their very lives. So did Naphtali on the terraced fields. Kings came. They fought. The kings of Canaan fought. At Tanakh, by the waters of Megiddo, they took no plunder of silver. From the heavens, the stars fought. From their courses, they fought against Sisera. The river Kishon swept them away. The age-old river, the river Kishon, march on, my soul, be strong, then thundered the horse's hooves, galloping, galloping, go his mighty steeds. Curse Meroz, said the angel of the Lord. Curse its people bitterly, because they did not come to help the Lord, to help the Lord 
against the mighty. Where are the princes? When the time is needed for nobility, when the time is required for leadership among the men, where are the princes? If there's ever been a time for princes to arise, that time is right now. Princes who will lead, princes who will, who will intervene, spiritual leaders and the men who will take on the issues of culture and society, who will stand up for family and their faith, it is a time for princes to arise. I actually think it's, God is doing two things at the same time right now. He is raising up women like he's never raised them up before. Like, wow, they are just rising. It's incredible. Women are breaking through all ceilings. God is anointing women. They're, they're getting filled with his spirit. They're doing great and mighty things. There's a rising women's movement happening in our times. It's fresh. It's new. It's, it's, it's happening. And at the same moment, there's also a men's movement rising. God is, is lifting up men. He's calling them into their princely destiny. And when we talk about princes here, because that's the focus of this message, I want us to realize that when we're talking about someone with that title, it means that they have earned it. The word is not normally used to describe someone who was born in a castle, like son of a king. We often think if you're you know, raised by a king, then you're automatically a prince, and we, we understand that. But primarily in these chapters in the Bible, the word prince is a title given to people, to men who have earned it. They stood out in their, in their local community. They have, they have judged well. They have led well. Uh, they have signed up for duty. Uh, they're bringing solutions. So whenever we're talking about prince here, we're talking about an honorable leader. And there's three words that are used here in chapter 5. Uh, and I think they just all kind of flow together. It's Rezar and Sar and Hakak. And uh, those are just Hebrew words that kind of mean the same thing. A little bit of difference between them. We'll just call them princes. And princes, if you look at this chapter here, have like a, a calling upon their life. And I want to go into that for a moment here. Because what I think we got in Judges chapter 5 is like a training manual for princes. Are you with me? Okay, first of all, here's point number one. Princes are ready for war. Any warriors in the house today? When those moments come, men who are princes show up. They show up for battle. They identify what's going wrong and they say, not under my watch. They show up. It's marvelous. And war is exactly what was happening here. Look at chapter 5, verse 8. I think the words will be up for you. It says, God chose new leaders when war came to the city gates. Where was the war? Not out there somewhere. At the very gates and walls of the city. Princes answer the call when that starts to happen. Princes are ready for war. They're not in denial about it. They're not saying, oh, someday I think we're going to have to really focus on these issues because they seem to be increasing in culture. They go, no, it starts right now. 
the lines get drawn immediately by princes. That's why they're noble. And there's, if I can put it this way, we are in a cultural war right now. I think our country across the border there in the United States, I think they're facing the same things, right? Amen? Cultural war going on. So much happening, so much at stake when it comes to faith and family and our futures. And if we don't see men, princes, rise up, remember I already talked about women in another message? Don't say, don't say many emails saying you didn't talk about women. If we don't see our men rise up, we're not going to win this war. It's a cultural war, and it's a spiritual war, and there's a demonic agent behind it that is trying to tear down family, tear down gender, as God made gender, tear down uh, the whole construct of marriage, tear down what's right and wrong, and we need our princes to stand up. This will affect your kids' schooling, this war. It'll affect your employment. It's going to affect church life. Someone will say, oh, we're going to lose our charitable status some year. We're not waiting for that. We're just going to do what Jesus said that we're supposed to do. We just keep going. Yeah, if you think we're in this for a government discount, it's the wrong equation. We're just not that kind of people. We are a kingdom people, kingdom of heaven here on earth. And so it's time for men to go to the next level. I'm saying, men, I'm going with you. Let's go together. Let's get up to that level of prince duty where we ought to be so we can make a difference. By the way, can I just emphasize for all of us here today that we already know this. I've touched on it quite a bit, especially last fall in the Restore series. Men are not women. Women are not men. I know that's basic. But some churches are afraid to say that, so that's just clear teaching out of the Bible, okay? We believe there are only two God-given designed genders. One is male, one is female. Both are essential. Both reflect the image of God. Both express things about God. Both are essential, but they're different. (laughs) And so, you know, men are not women, women are not men. There are some things that women cannot do that men can do. Is that okay to say? Am I going to get in trouble? It's easy when you're sitting down there. Thank you for your support. I feel it. There are some things that men can do that women cannot do. Let me just give you one of them. Men can make women pregnant. Women can't do that. There are some things that women can do that men can't do. Women can have babies. And I'm happy that women want to have babies. I have no desire to have babies. I was with Marianne at the birth of all three of our babies. I'm like, oh God. Oh God, oh God, oh God, oh God. I, I think I, faint, I fainted on the first one, didn't I? Some, yeah, I fainted just watching it. Yeah, so, you know, we're different, we're distinct, and I'm kind of going after the distinctions here today, particularly on the men's side. Is that okay? Because I already did did the women six weeks ago, right? (laughs) Women are okay. Listen to that message if you missed it. I'm I'm, I'm going to the men's camp here. 
but I want the women to, to listen in on this. We need both images, but we need men to be men. We're living in an over-feminized culture in general. <laughs> this is not Afghanistan. It's not the Middle East. I'm not talking that kind of part of the world. I'm talking about North America. Over-feminized. Now, I'm not blaming the women for that. I'll blame the men for shrinking back. So we want women to rise, keep rising, you know, legitimately, honorably, all that according to your design, but we need the men to rise up. And when we don't, what happens is, and you see it in different ways, an over-feminization of the culture. Please don't <laughs> misunderstand what I'm saying here because both characteristics that happen in life can be expressed through both male and female, but just done differently, right? All right, so we know that. Um, but on the nurture side, women, I think, have more to give than the men do. Even though men are called to do nurturing, they really are. We have to nurture, love, support, care, and we do, but we'll do it differently. So you know what drives me nuts is you go to a soccer tournament with kids and everybody gets a medal. Men? Yeah, it's like, what? Can't someone win and someone lose? If you don't learn something from losing, how are you going to celebrate your winning? Well, we just want everybody to feel good. Life's not like that. Sorry. I'm speaking like a man here. Is that all right? Can you handle it? Well, we want everybody to feel included. They are. They won. They lost. We still care about each other. Yeah. So the message, I think, that has been subliminally pounding on us for 50 years is, men, you're okay, but just don't bring your maleness to the broader culture. And look where we are 50 years later. Now we've got to play catch up. By the way, you know, um, there has been toxic masculinity along the way, and of course, I, I admit that. And it's created many problems, and we don't make excuses for that. It's not good, it's evil. So men, if we've contributed to toxic masculinity, bat on us, repent of that sin, and seek the forgiveness of Jesus and make wrongs right. All right? We're not talking about increase of toxic masculinity, but about biblical manhood coming back into its place in society, culture, and the church. So this is shaping of culture going on. And what happens is over time, uh, fatherlessness has really uh, affected this. So many children grow up in a home without a dad, right? It's just, it's just rampant. And when you grow up without a dad, you don't have a role model and, and you know, your mom does all she can and she breaks her back to raise you. We understand how hard that is. But when boys are not raised in a home where a dad is present and involved and engaged in their lives, they, they often don't do well. And their fathers check out, they're busy, they're stressed, they're overworked. And all that has made some, some, some strange things happen as well. You know, I grew up in the, in the last of the good old era, honestly. Um, and I, I was in a small town growing up, 700 people. I had four great uncles in that town within a three-block bike ride. My grandparents lived one block down the street. We went there every day after school to see my grandparents. Every day, seven days a week. 
I grew up with, with fishermen and farmers. On my, on my dad's side, they were fishermen. So I'd go down to the harbor with uncles. I'd sit in their boats. I'd row the oars. We'd drop the anchors. We'd bring in the fish. We'd cut the fish. We'd go get ice from Uncle Raymond up the road. We'd cool the fish off. We'd wrap it and sell it. I was taught business at a young age. By 15, I'm making deals with people in the fish shack. My uncle took me on his tractor, taught me how to plow a field. I'm like, I had no idea how to drive a tractor. He showed me how. Talked to me about life, talked to me about, you know, don't get the wrong girlfriend, you know, that kind of stuff, and, and tried to help me and steer me in the way I should go, and he did a great job. I really appreciated him. But I was close with my dad, close with my uncles, close with my grandparents. I thought that was normal. Until I moved out of home and realized most people have no clue about that. They did not have men in their lives. And so you grow up and, you know, you become kind of what you've been shaped to be. And my heart goes out to the men who never experienced some of these things. So I'm going to ask a question here. You know, what has God done in the design of men? What does he want to bring to the table here? What, what's he really after? Let me share a few things. All right. First of all, men are initiators, right? We start things. We like to start things and we like to kill things. We do. It makes us really happy when we stop something. Like, I'm done work. Stop. Well, you should do it a little bit. No, I said I'm done. As soon as I say I'm done, I'm done, right? We are initiators. We are decision makers, don't hear what I'm not saying. Women are great decision makers too. And we need them to make great decisions and we make, this, make great decisions together. I'm talking about the men here. The men will bring to the discussion something different because we like decisions. We like clarity and direction. And sometimes when you over talk about something at home, the guy's like, yeah, but we didn't decide anything. And your wife's like, well, we weren't going to really decide anything. You're like, well, why did we talk? <laughs> because we're talking. Okay, let's talk. Now let's decide. We like fixing things. Men are builders. They like to create things. By the way, men, or the man was put into the garden. Adam was in the garden tilling the soil before Eve was created. Did you know that? Men were working from day one, and it was good. Men love work, right? We love to do things. We don't like just sitting around, you know, just looking up at the sky, unless maybe we're getting on a rocket and going up there with Elon Musk. Maybe that would help. <laughs> we like to do things. We like to produce things. Some men on a Saturday, they just got to go to Home Depot, right? They just got to go to the hardware store and get some wood and get the skill saw and cut it, nail it together, make a dog house, make anything. Just produce something. You know where that instinct comes from? From God. We are made in his image. We like to make things. Sometimes we break things, but we like to make things. COVID-19 was brutal because the message to men was stay home, stay safe, stay calm. We're like, stay calm. The world's gone nuts. You want me to stay calm? No, I'm not going to stay calm. Absolutely not. Barely made it through that without losing my mind, by the way. But anyways, I'm sure you can relate to that. I had to go for long walks every day. I spent more time outside during COVID than I do now. Yes. I just went outside everywhere. Met people in the park, 
Starbucks, you know, roll down the window, talk, friends, connect, blah, blah, blah. You do what you got to do. Men are initiators. They like to start things. <laughs> and, you know, um, they're providers. You know, they, they have this sense of, I've got to ensure that we're going to have enough as a family. That's from God, too. Doesn't mean the women aren't part of the provision team. Of course they are. But the man will feel it probably more than the women in general. Right, men? We feel it. We, we accept that assignment. So men and women are not the same, right? Okay, here we go. Lord, help me. Lord, help me. Genesis chapter 2, verse 21. Original creation story, it says, And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept, and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. This is not myth. This is not some fable. This is creation here we're talking about. He brought her to the man, and Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, woh, man, because she was taken out of man. Where did the woman come from? Out of man. Taken out of the man and then shaped and designed and made in, in, into the image of God so that she reflected that image to him and to creation. And the man no longer has that woman inside of him. All right? So I want to say this. Men, you don't have a feminine side. There's no woman in you trying to get out. Is that true? That's what we believe the Bible says. There's no woman inside of a man trying to get out. There's also no man inside of a woman trying to get out. Now here's the thing. When the man and the woman come together in marriage, which means the merging of two, then you have an explosion of great revelation of God's nature and being. Man and woman together, the two shall become one flesh. That's beautiful. That's powerful. Marriage is one of the most important things that we stand for. So I just want to say to people here, you know, if you're struggling with some of these things, and, and there are people who struggle, we are with you in the struggle. We are with you to pray with you, to help you, uh, to disciple you into what God's calling is, is, is for you in your maleness or femaleness. You're made in his image. He's done a good work the way you were born. Princes, it's time for us to re-embrace these truths. And I also want to say this. When young men are not validated by their older brothers or fathers, they may overlook to women for validation. I really believe that the addiction to pornography that's happened in our culture these days, which is both men and women involved in that, but I'm aiming at the men here. I would say for the men, the root cause of that isn't simply lust. I think it's boredom. That they're just not fulfilled. Don't hear what I'm not saying. It's still wrong and sinful and degrading and all that, but it's because they don't know who they are. They're, they're seeking for fulfillment in the wrong way. And I just want to just say to anyone who's struggling with anything, there is always hope and freedom and healing in Jesus. It's always available. 
doesn't matter how far you've gone. God loves you. He's, he's going he's gonna to help you. He's going to lift things off you that shouldn't be on you. And I want to just go a little bit further here and bring out the masculine side of Jesus. Can we do that? You guys all right? The masculine side of Jesus. Now, I, I struggle to even go here because I don't like polarizing, well, this is Jesus on the feminine side. Like, I don't want to create that dichotomy. I hope you understand what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to emphasize something here because Jesus was fully man. And yet we see him gentle, caring, likes to play with kids. Let the little children come to me. Don't stop them. <laughs> They're part of the kingdom too. He loves children. He had a good laugh. He could go to a house, hang out with people. Jesus could nurture. He could nurture his disciples. You know, he took the towel and washed their feet. He was caring. He was, he was, he was demonstrating compassion to crowds and people and the broken all the time. We all love that, right? And we need that. That is truly part of what he has reflected to us. And there's also another side to Jesus that is rarely preached about. What about the Jesus that gets furious with unbelief? How about the Jesus that says to the certain cities who had the miraculous revival signs happening in their midst and they didn't respond? He said, it will be more tolerable in hell for Sodom and Gomorrah than for you cities. That's Jesus. How about Jesus who goes into the temple one day, sees the money changers, right? Exchanging money, making, making, you know, increase off of people's offerings and all that. And it, it just ticks him off. And he goes home and he makes a whip and he comes back. He flips the, the tables over the money changers, takes his whip and drives them out of the temple and says, my father's house will be a house of prayer. How about that, Jesus? Have you ever seen behavior like that? We don't often see it, do we? How about Jesus who said, if you don't eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part with me. And everybody left. And then he looks at his disciples and he says, you guys gonna go too? And Peter says, where are we gonna go? We've cashed in everything to follow you. <laughs> in other words, we, we might have gone, but we actually have nowhere to go. <laughs> it's too late. We're stuck with you. This is Jesus. I don't know if he's preaching would make it long in a church before the church would get rid of him. Because it's so domesticated. How about Judgment Day? When Jesus talked about that in Matthew 25 and other passages, he described a judgment scene in which he, the Son of Man coming down out of the clouds, he's going to judge all nations. And whoever's names are not found written in the book of life, you know what happens. They get sent into outer darkness, eternal fire, damnation prepared for the devil and his angels. Your Bible says that Jesus will make that judgment. And it's not like he, he will send people to hell and then have a bad day and say, oh, I think I overreacted. Maybe we should invite them back. No, God will sleep. He'll be at peace with those decisions. The Lord is our savior, right? And we're living in an age and a time in kingdom history when it's all about the gospel and saving people and getting them into the kingdom because he's coming back. When he comes back, he's gonna judge. He's gonna judge the world. And it's gonna feel very different. And I know that, you know, 
toxic masculinity has not done any, us any favors. Please hear me on this. I am not supportive of that. And if you have experienced, any of you, male or female, abuse or injury or oppression from any male person in your life, whether it be a family member or someone else, I apologize to you on behalf of men. I am sorry for what happened to you. I hope you can forgive the person who hurt you because you should never have had that happen to you. I don't want to make any excuses for improper, ungodly behavior, none at all. I think that toxic masculinity has been the thing that's gotten in the way. And so it's hard to preach these messages because there's been so many bad examples of abuse. We must get this figured out. So princes need to be trained. They need to be trained so they can reign. And I'm told this, that 60% of the church globally are women, right? Across all countries, right? 60% of Christian followers are women. Love the women, want the women, let's get all the women, let's get 100% of the women. How come 60% of the church globally is women and 40% men? Why is there a difference? I'm not totally sure, but I do think it has something to do with the way the church expresses the gospel. And if we present a sanitized, domesticated, cozy, comfortable kind of politically correct gospel, the men will switch it off like that because they know. I know where this is going. They can feel it in the air. And I think that's part of the answer is we need to be fully authentic and lift up biblical manhood in the church. I give credit to women. They're so intuitive. They're so dialed into God. You go to any prayer meeting, you'll find most of the people in the prayer meeting are women so receptive to the Lord, listening to his voice, and man, we've got to match that. We've got to become who we need to become. First John chapter 2, he talks about spiritual life stages. I won't read the passage. You can take a look at it. He talks about children and fathers and young men. This is John the Apostle. And he says this interesting thing here. He says, he says I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the wicked one. You've overcome the wicked one. In other words, you're becoming a prince. You're fighting the battle of faith because the war is at the city gates and you gotta press in. By the way, Abraham was called a prince in the Bible. Jacob was called a prince by the angel of the Lord. He wrestled with the angel of the Lord, right? He had that encounter with him and the angel touched his hip. Um, changed his name from Jacob, which means deceiver, to Israel. He said, because as a prince with God, you have struggled and overcome. Princes overcome. Princes persevere. They don't give up. Man, I'm talking to you. Don't give up on where we need to go. Don't give in. Don't give up. Keep pressing in. Stand up. Stand with. We're going to go forward together. Men contribute in providing and protecting and initiating and yes, of course, they do all the other things too, the care and the love and the nurture. So where are the princes? Well, when the time of war comes, they rise. Secondly, princes are fully engaged. They don't sit on the sidelines. Look at chapter 5, verse 14, just briefly here. It lists some tribes. 
Down to Issachar, verse 15. As Issachar, so was Barak, sent into the valley under his command among the divisions of Reuben. There were great resolves of heart. Why did you sit among the sheepfolds to hear the pipings from the flocks? The divisions of Reuben have great searchings of heart. In other words, they were very reluctant to go to battle. Gilead stayed behind the Jordan. And why did Dan remain on ships? Asher continued at the seashore and stayed by his inlets. There were four of the 12 tribes of Israel who did not send princes into battle. The other ones had to pick up the slack. Judges chapter 5 at verse 8. Let's look at that. It says, God chose new leaders when war came to the city gates. Can I just say this? Princes will get engaged. They're not going to watch culture going in a completely bizarre direction and stand on the sides and do nothing. They're going to rise up and say, I got to do something. I got to help out. I got to bring a solution. I got to head something up. I got to be a voice. Do it with other brothers. Do it with other people in the church. Where are the princes? I want to just do a just a flyover here of what I call royal theology. It's one of my favorite things I reflect on to help me understand who I am in Jesus. And you can do your own research on this, but it kind of goes like this. First of all, God is the ultimate king, right? There's no king greater than God. Secondly, we are made in God's image. Oh, and God's a king. Oh, so if I'm made in God's image and he's a king, I'm gonna reflect some kingliness Right? For females, it's, you know, the other thing, queenliness, like royalty. We're made in God's image to reflect his image. Thirdly, God chose David as king, Psalm 89, 19 to 21. David was like the prototypical model of Messiah king, early stages. Fourth, Jesus fulfilled the messianic king calling as a son of David. Jesus came into the world as the son of God and fulfilled the royalness of the Messiah. Fifth, Jesus makes us kings and priests, Revelation 5.10. And six, we reign in life as royal people, Romans 5.17 and 1 Peter 2.9. We are royalty. It's true. All of you who are believers in Jesus, you are royal people. You're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. And because of that, we see life as something that we enter into on God's behalf. We rule and reign with him. We bring healing and hope to people who are struggling. Where are the princes? They're right here. It's you guys. And I wanna pray with you here in a moment and bless you on this day because I think God is doing something in our midst as men respond not only to the whispers of Jesus, but to the shouts of Jesus. And so just for a moment here, as we wind up here, I want to say to men, man, God has something in store for you that's really awesome. To the young men, to the young boys, to the, you know, to the young adults, the young couples, the young singles, middle-aged, sunsetters, and onward. God has something for our men that we're going to grab a hold of today. So would all the males in the house please stand? Those of you online, men, wherever you are, would you stand? 
Women, look at all these guys here. Yeah. Some of you are unmarried. Look around the room, find a spouse. Come on. It can happen. It should happen here. Why wouldn't it happen here? Is there any better place in the world to find your spouse than in the body of Christ? There's no other place that's better than that. Man, I honor you. I stand with you. I understand the battles you must fight in your head. I understand the pressures you live under to consistently provide, to do all you can, to show up. And I want to say to you, with me, with my heart with you, we're going to get going on this war, right? We're going to stand strong on this culture war. We're going to face the issues that are in front of us. We're not going to be like Dan and go sailing on boats and say, how'd the battle go? No, no, no. We are going to get to the front of the line. We are going to make a difference as men. And I know the women of this house, they will cheer that on. They're not intimidated by that at all. So sisters, would you just stretch out your hands to the men that are standing? We're going to bless them and then we're going to be done. Men like short prayers, right? Amen? Short prayers work just as good as long prayers. That's theologically true. All right, here's a short prayer, sort of. God, anoint these guys with your spirit. Fill them with courage and strength in their bodies, in their minds, in their souls. Let them be great lovers of their wives, great providers, great leaders, great nurturers to their family, raising them well with their wives. We pray for breakthrough in any of their lives, in any area that they need it. And we stand with them in this hour, God, in which you've told us we can do this together. God is restoring the hearts of children to their fathers and the fathers to the children. And we get to see the wonderful things that are happening. So bless these men. Let them feel your favor today. Bless the women too, God. Thank you for them. Let your presence be upon us, we pray in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen, amen. amen. Let's give Jesus praise. Why don't you all stand? Hey, ministry team, come on up here. If you have a need in your life, press in here with us. We'd love to pray with you for healing, for whatever is happening in you. God bless you guys. We'll see you soon.